Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Sunday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available for sale on my website and on Amazon. In fact, it is a number one new release and bestseller on Amazon, and I'm really excited about this new book because, well, it's actually not a book. It's a guided journal for leaders that will take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you will reflect on a different facet of that theme. Now, leadership skills are just like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those skills. So if you're interested in this guided journal, go to youhavethewatch.com or Amazon and pick up your copy today. Now, if you're looking for other ways you can support what I do on the show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com and podcast listeners can always use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is Michael King. Michael is a leadership coach who helps leaders and their teams find clarity and get results. As leaders, we fall into the trap on working on what's urgent and not what's important. Finding clarity in all that noise is such an important element of being a leader worth following. And I was excited to sit down with Michael and learn about the methodologies he uses to help leaders focus on doing what's really important. I know you're going to love this discussion. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Michael King. Michael is the founder and CEO of Teams.Coach and is a highly sought-after executive and business leadership coach. He helps business leaders clarify and execute at high levels through his proprietary Teams methodology. He also helps companies build healthy, fun, and collaborative and trusting cultures. And I'm excited to have him on the show to learn from his experiences. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. It's a privilege uh, being here. So, man, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you because you you have some uh, you have an interesting background and you're doing some really really fascinating things with leaders and teams. So, I just wanted to pick your brain and see what we can learn from some of your approaches. But first of all, maybe you know, tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up getting into the leadership coaching business. Yeah, you know, I've been coaching leaders for a couple decades now, and um, I was always that you know I don't I don't know if you've ever ran into anybody kind of like this. Maybe you're you're like this as well. But even as I remember being a, a young child, um, I could I could literally remember kind of always getting caught up in my head a little bit. I grew up in a musician's home, so music and artistry was just something that was just something that was expected of me. But I also had this very interesting organizational side of me to where I could kind of reverse engineer the things that I was a part of and made sense. And I took a lot of initiative. I was you know, identified as being a kind of like a type type A personality from, you know, from junior high on. And I'm pretty sure uh, if they had disc profiles and all that stuff that they could have given me back, then we would have probably figured some 
some of those uh, interesting things out. But, um, but I entered in through, so I went through, uh, you know, I went, th- I started off going through Bible college and I became a music pastor and a recording artist in the Christian music industry. Um, and I still do make music and all those things. And, uh, during my time serving in the church, I became an executive pastor over the last, at least I don't know, last, I don't know, decade and a half or so. And, um, and got in a, got a chance to be a part of large church environments and building leadership pipelines that, uh, that influenced cities and, uh, in other churches and then started working with other pastors and churches. Um, 2017 came to an end, uh, and just through interesting circumstances and also some very obvious things that that season was coming to an end, took some time to just really focus on where I was going and my passion for really making sure that, that teams, team dynamics and team environments are healthy. That really led me down this path uh, of executive coaching and, to be honest with you, I didn't even really know that executive coaching was a thing until I was I was getting done with my master's program, and they all of a sudden kind of sent me a letter saying, "Congratulations, you had now have your your certificate in executive coaching." I thought it was just a class I was taking, and I was and so I was fascinated by it and realized that this is the thing that I've been doing forever, and I love it. Yeah, that's interesting, and and uh, you know, it's it's funny because. Um, yeah, I mean, the, all of us get to this position in some different way, but a lot of us get there through actually being in the trenches. And it sounds like you you were in the trenches for years. Uh, now you you know, then you went and got certified in it, and now you're you know helping teach some of the lessons you learned over the years. And I think that's a great that's a great approach to it. And uh, and uh, you know, it's interesting coming from a pastoral background, a church background. You know, I always say leadership is a people business, and I think. Churches are are people businesses too. They're people places, and so I think uh, our approaches towards people are are important towards our approaches uh, in leadership as well. Yeah, I I love I and I I actually do. I still coach some pastors um, as part of what we do. There's a about thirty percent of what we do is working with with church leaders, and you know I think that that, that is something where um, it's a passion point because what I do remember about working in full time church work is that. Um, you know, everybody kind of comes into a church environment knowing that there's something else going on and they need something in their life to be able to, you know, to feel fulfilled or to be able to get their life on track, or there's a spiritual vacancy in their life. They just want to grow as a spiritual uh, leader or get connected with God. And, um, and so it's something about working with a willing one from day one that is absolutely amazing and transformational. And I don't get that opportunity a lot of times on the, the enterprise side of what we do, because sometimes I sit in environments in which, you know, leaders are resistant to change, but in, on the church side of things, man, that was one of the things that was pretty fun is that you, you really bump into people that are excited to go on a journey and they want to explore. Yeah, that's great. No, it's really good. It's always, I mean, I guess leaders in, in general should be willing to learn and be humble and be willing to, uh, you know, see where their weaknesses weaknesses are and work on those weaknesses. And a lot of times we're I'm dealing with, or I dealt with leaders that, uh, we're stuck in their ways. And that's always the hardest, uh, those are the hardest people to deal with. So, um, so I was just curious, you know, the company that you have teams.coach, you know, uh, you talked about the type of clients you deal with. What are the, what are the biggest challenges that are facing your clients maybe over the last couple of years? I know we've faced COVID and we're coming out of COVID now, but what are some of the challenges that, that, that they seek you out for? Yeah. Well, you know, at, at the beginning of COVID, you know, having remote work cultures, it wasn't necessarily like everybody had one, right? Having a digital presence, not everybody necessarily had one. You know, it was, it was almost like this idea that, 
every business had their brick and mortar uh, presence, and then they had a digital representation of it. And now everything's shifted to where there's really this, almost this duality happening right now where it's like you have your digital business and you have your brick and mortar presence. Mm -hmm. And and it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to engage in your in-person experience. Um, And so how you make people feel, you've heard this before, how you make people feel is the only thing that people will remember. And so as you're leading your team and also understanding all these different things that are going on with digital and remote and things like that, I think the leaders that are engaged with the idea that um, that building your remote culture is a completely different process than building your in-person culture. And so you might have this umbrella of vision and values and attributes and behaviors and all those things that you've identified. But what, what are the deployment mechanisms that you're using to making sure that your vision, your values are actually translating to a completely different set of dynamics? Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me. And the companies that are willing to look down that path, the leaders that are willing to look down that path are the ones that are seeing progress. The ones that are kind of turning a blind eye to it, they're going to stumble a bit along the way. Yeah, no, I definitely can see that. And, uh, you know, it's easy when you can walk around and look everybody in the eye and see how everybody's doing and, you know, connect with people physically. It's a lot different when you're trying to connect uh, remote and you're trying to connect digitally. And uh, yeah, it's in it's very definitely uh, has we the dynamics have shifted these days, and uh, you know we've had some some people on the show, some guests on the show talking about that remote work culture and how to build it, and it's definitely it's another element that makes it more complicated. And if you don't take that in consideration and just assume it's just like physical presence, it's it's not. Yeah, and it takes time to learn it and develop it and make sure you maintain it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you, you, when I, when in the introduction, I mentioned the teams methodology and I just thought I'd give you a chance to talk, explain a little bit about what that is and and how uh, it's unique and how it's, how you're using it to help leaders basically get things done, I guess, meet their objectives. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, there's, there's tons of methodologies out there. And so, but what really is we, we built this around the things that we find are the most important things. And, and I'll, t- I'll tell you a little bit about some of our green light processes as well um, that are kind of attached to this, but the team's methodology really breaks down as an acronym. So the, the T stands for targets. So every leader needs to clearly identify what the win is. I don't know if you're like, if you're like me at all, I've been put in environments before to where the win hasn't been clarified. And yes. if I can't see the needle move, um, I might, I might actually spin out a little bit. Right. Yeah. So, um, so, so for me, it's, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO of a company or whether you're a, a team member, clearly identify the win. What's the target for the week um, or the, the big win. But, but these are kind of like week to week operational things to keep things moving. The E stands for engagement, probably one of the most important parts that separates our methodology versus uh, some of the other, you know, traction methodologies and, and, uh, and EOS system type things out there is that engagement is really, how are you engaging with your direct report? How are you engaging with your team and how are you engaging with your audience? Can you rate it? Um, you know, having quick feedback loop mechanisms on a, on a weekly cycle, this has been probably the superpower of what we do with teams at coach, because we give valuable information on a week to week basis to our senior leaders and saying, Hey, your team doesn't feel like they're connected with you. Let's fix it. Mm-hmm. And and that's been a cool thing. Uh, a stands for action. So we quickly identify what's the one singular action that we're going to help you do this week to make sure that you do accomplish your, what you've identified as your win. 
momentum. This is kind of, this is interesting is that we identify momentum by this singular thing. Do you have the authority to change or remove and stop the things that are slowing you down? So sometimes when I talk to leaders about momentum, they immediately start about all the systems and strategies that they're putting into place to be able to go faster or or some things that they're adding to their plate to go faster, right? We just kind of go completely the other way. It's like, okay, what are you actually doing that's, you know, that's standing in your way? What's slowing you down? What can we remove uh, from that? So we, we ask our, our leaders to identify those things. And then um, synergy is the S. And so synergy, I love it, is just because the idea of when everything's in the right place at the right time, doing the right things, you, you have wins. Mm-hmm. But are you able to actually stop and smell the roses? And so as a leader, I'm, I want to work with you to get you into weekly disciplines of celebrating the big things, celebrating the small things, and never taking for granted what a win could be. And... Um, you know, so that that's really kind of how the team's methodology works. And um, man, we've gotten in a pretty good rhythm and we've, we've actually digitized the process through our app, through the teams.coach app. And we love it. It's great. That's fantastic. One of the things, one of the things you touched on was momentum. And I, that is something that I would tell you that it's sort of like the secret sauce of leadership that I don't really, I don't really, I've never written on it and I've never talked about it much, but I, in 30 years, I've been leading people for 30 years and there's always a momentum. I always can sense the momentum shift, whether it's, uh, you know, forward or backwards or stopped as a leader, I just always feel like something's slowing us down. And, uh, and maybe it's just because I've been doing it for so long, but I, I, momentum is something that always, I always pay attention to and something I never really talked about. So it's interesting. That's part of your system. And it makes a lot of sense to me having, you know, been in the trenches for 30 years. That's uh, really interesting that you actually focus in on it. You know, it's funny because I, you know, leadership is really about motivating people to get things done. And what ends up happening with most leaders is we don't work on those things, motivating people and the goals, right? We work on everything else. We're doing emails, we're doing, you know, we're on conference calls, we're on customer visits, and we forget about motivating people towards a goal. And it sounds like the team's methodology gets you back to that. What's the goal? How do you motivate people to get them? How do you engage with them? How do you make sure that you're moving obstacles? And it's, you know, it's what what it's it's like this the superpower that that we forget about when we go into these leadership roles, and and uh, so it's really it's it's good to hear that that the system you have is set up that way, and, and it works, and it's effective. It's no surprise that it's effective. Well, we found that the 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 best leaders who lead teams. So uh, again, this is kind of a weird, interesting kind of di- <laughs> you know process, just because you know, reverse engineering the whole process. It's like, you know, whoever tells the best story wins, you know, that's the kind of this big, you know, storytelling perspective of, yeah. of this, you know, the outcomes of, an, of a healthy organization, but who tells the best stories? It's, it's always the teams that produce the best results and the best stories. Yeah. Think about the, you know, the nineties, the Chicago bulls, I can think back yeah. to yeah. great Michael Jordan stories and, you know, Scotty yeah. Pippen and all that stuff. Right. Um, but who leads the best teams? And it's always it's always the leaders who lead with the highest levels of transparency, authenticity, um, clarity, uh, mm-hmm. vision, a compelling purpose. Um, and so within that whole motivation and and uh, momentum sequence, there we are. I'm I I, I, could, I say we. I have a great team, but me personally, through just my own personal experience and pain points and growing as a leader, um, I haven't you know, I'm still trying to figure figure this thing out a bit, but I will tell you this is that, um, I'm committed to making sure that, that we develop 
emotionally intelligent and responsible leaders. And I haven't yet met a team that had momentum that was led by somebody that wasn't emotionally intelligent. And there's a direct correlation there between the teams that are winning versus the the teams that aren't. And typically emotional intelligence and having somebody who's emotionally and psychologically in tune with their team, that is a game changer. So um, that's a big deal to me. So just let's unpack that just a little bit. Emotional intelligence. Explain when you see a leader that has emotional intelligence, what does it look like? Yeah. You know, um, for example, creating a culture in an environment in which your team can naturally thrive. Mm, okay. Are you, are you, are you creating are you more in love with your systems and your strategies than you are the outcomes? Some leaders actually create things that are their enemies, you know, like the company that gets to, or the CEO that gets to the place to where they're hitting their head on the ceiling. A lot of times it's because they're expecting unrealistic results from the people who are actually on, on their team. Have you taken a moment to actually get the, get to know the who behind the, what you're producing? Um, you know, like one of the things that I tell my leaders in simple steps, you know, Hey, I know you're busy, but take five minutes this week and just learn the first name of the kids of the people who first report to you. So something simple, right? Right. Right. But when you, when you bring up, when you start bringing things up like this, it's like, it's amazing. You know, I'll, I'll be sitting at tables with some people that are, that are my heroes. And when I say something like that, you can kind of, you can literally see like whether they're in tune with that or whether they want to kind of put a sheet over their head and walk out of the room, you know, with the sheet of shame type of thing. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think understanding that, but also having realistic expectations of what that team member can actually produce. You know, we build things to our level of understanding, right? As leaders, we walk in and it's like, oh yeah, I know how to build that. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to build by design. But an emotionally intelligent leader is going to be open to the idea that maybe their team member is able to produce something that wasn't an intentional thing or an intentional find to have a part of their team, right? So being in tune with the who behind the what you're producing, it's, it's, so, it's so important. And in those team members that are able to contribute a true identity into the roles that they are a part of your organization higher retention rates, you actually end up producing uh, things faster and better because you have a passionately engaged employee opposed to a passively engaged employee. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. One of the things you you uh, mentioned, and I think it's important, is is the leader's role in in culture. You say that that culture is a, is essential in, in business in, in business success. So, you know, tell us a little bit about um, you know company culture, why it's important, and how business leaders can um, can build a great culture. How do they go about doing? It? And obviously, you're looking at at leaders that have that emotional intelligence, but how how are they building these great cultures, and why is it so important? 
you know, uh, Patrick Lencioni has his, you know, five dysfunctions of the team. And so he, he starts off by describing this and this has been around forever. Yeah. I've, I've used it for a long time, but I think it's very interesting that he starts the conversation with the absence or the presence of trust on your team. Mm, yeah. Now, I think that's, I think that's just, honestly, we could sit there and talk about this thing for a long time, Yeah, yeah. but, um, but let's just start there. But then the second thing is this, is that if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. So when you're building your culture and as a team, and if you're building it around, like, so I'm assuming that in the context of the question that we're talking about right now, I'm assuming we're talking about the, the maybe the leader or maybe the team that just simply doesn't necessarily have the culture that they want, or they haven't gone about building the thing that they want yet. And um, what I found is this, is that, uh, you know, you, you have to name it, you have to clarify it. So, you know, if, if, you know, if you want honesty, if you want transparency, if you want um, vivality, celebration, if you want some of these things to be a part of your culture, you're going to have to be able to take a moment and just clearly identify those things, put them into two different buckets is what I call it. So are they, are they your real values or are they your aspirational values? And then bring your team into those conversations as soon as you possibly can to be able to find out, you know, okay, what do we have to do to kind of start moving the needle towards the culture that we want versus the culture that we have? Um, the the team that doesn't have these things identified is the team that will never create the culture that they want. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. We like in my organization, we have 13 values that we, you know, that we post and we we make new employees aware of. And then I have expect my 10 expectations for for everyone that works at our company. So they're two separate documents, but they're they're written down and they and they're, uh, you know, we were a startup company six years ago. So they were aspirational. And, you know, we are in, in but we challenge each other to say, are we living up to those values or not? And if we're not, everyone has the authority to say, Hey, look, we were doing something we didn't say we were going to do. This isn't, this is wrong. What are we doing to fix it? So we all, anyone can stand up and say, we're not living up those values. So I think having them written down is, is a key part of it. And then living it out and giving people the, the authority to raise their hand and say, Hey, something's not right. We're not operating the way we, we should be as part See, of oh, that's. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. And I love the fact that you've actually created a team environment where you've given people the permission to raise the hand. Um, you know, there's just so many different types of leadership out there right now, or not types, but there's so many people that are in leadership models in which that permission doesn't exist. And there's mm -hmm. a fear culture there. Yes. And, um, and so, so yeah, I commend you for that. I would love to be able to see those documents too. If you, if you'd send those my way, I would oh, love yeah, yeah. to share Oh yeah, yeah, I've got them. I could send them. Yeah. Um, it's funny. One, one of the things that one day I was out on the shop floor and I didn't have my safety glasses. I went past the area where you're supposed to have safety glasses and I was just running in there to get something. But one of, one of my employees caught me and said, Hey, you're not wearing your safety glasses. I run a manufacturing company. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I said, yep, you're right. And I reached in my wallet and gave him two $20 bills. And I said, I'll, I'll never, you'll, you know, that'll never happen again. Thanks for catching it. You know? And, but the two $20 bills was, was sending the message and, and the rumor, I was using the rumor mill, right? So they're like, yeah. Hey, Rennie wasn't wearing his glasses. And he gave me, you know, he gave me 40 bucks because I caught him, but it was saying, thank you for catching me doing something that was wrong. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, I was, I wasn't mad at him. In fact, I rewarded him for doing that. So I think that's, that says, this is what our culture is. And when someone stands up for the culture, you, you commend them for it, you know, commend them for it. Yeah, I think that's that's a big part of it. 
That's incredible. Um, so very, very, that's awesome that you did that with, and that'll be a moment that he'll never forget. Um, right. Right. And, and he'll tell everybody else. That's, that's the thing about the rumor mill. I've, you know, maybe ex-military, but the rumor mill is more effective than any other communication method. So I tend to try to use the rumor mill as much to my advantage as possible to get, to get messages out and what have you. So shock and awe is a good way to get the rumor mill going. So, <laughs> so I found <laughs> one, one couldn't agree with you, couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So um, you you say this, and I love it. You say that 360 reviews don't work. And I agree with that. I don't use them. Um, what's a better way to evaluate performance? Well, you know, we we talked about that. Uh, shameless plug, use my team's methodology. It's <laughs> okay, right, there, <laughs> right there. Right um, there. No, this was one of the pain points was just because, again, it, coming back to even the things that I've experienced, uh, you know, working with with teams and what's worked for me and some of the environments that I was in that was not wasn't working um, was just the idea of, of, of this in that there are a couple companies out there that are, you know, that are facilitating 360 review things and they do an excellent job. So I want to make sure that, that I'm not being pegged as an enemy of the, of the 360 yeah. review, but I will say this is that if you are a leader and you're only utilizing feedback mechanisms one or two times a year to find out what your team actually really truly thinks you're not leading and you're just, you're just checking off a list. And so, um, the, the leader that steps into more consistent cadences is going to lead into growth catalysts. So think about it. Like, here's my formula for, 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 for catalytic growth. It's, it's mass getting everybody on the same page, content and communication, making sure that uh, there's a clear message being communicated and everybody's hearing the same thing at the same time or through different feedback mechanisms times cadence. So mass plus communication times cadence, it equals growth opportunities. So, so the more you bring that cadence in to getting your feedback, the better you're going to build trust on your team. And you're going to create safer and safer environments for feedback. You're going to have those, what you just talked about, that hand raising opportunity. I've seen that happen where we flipped organizations absolutely upside down to where they went from being 100% afraid to 100% empowered. And there's nothing absolutely, it's, it's, it's almost like watching magic happen when you see the connection between unfulfillment and then all of a sudden fulfillment because you shifted one simple thing in your operations. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I've seen that as well. I, I really agree with that. And, and it's, it's sometimes it's just a matter of getting, getting everybody engaged, putting together a plan. And, and, and then it's, it's the constant like you said, the cadence, like we do a morning meeting, morning standing meeting every day, and we all get on the same page every day, every morning, you know, and then we we review what happened yesterday, we talk about what's going to happen today, and then it's ready break and we're off to the races. And it's a simple way, but it's we're connecting every day and it's, it's a regular cadence point. And it, it, it's a part of our culture. Like if you took away our morning meetings, we wouldn't know what to do. We, and, and it's a stand up meeting, it's 15 minutes and we're off to the races. And I think that's that's um, probably more effective than any, you know, meetings I ever did in corporate life where I sat in meetings for hours and nothing ever got done and no one had any action yeah. items and everybody was confused. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, so yeah, that's important. It is. And I, I love that you do that every day. And um, I would challenge people too to ask unexpected and somewhat sometimes unorthodox questions mm. that take people out of the things that are expected. Yeah. Um, like for example, I was meeting with one of my clients today. We went to this uh, the sushi restaurant in North Omaha, and we're sitting there. And the, and the waiter came up, and uh, I've seen him before. And he and he was engaging with us in his typical routine. 
So I asked him, <laughs> it, you know, it, we're at a sushi restaurant. So, and so out of the blue, I said, Hey, can I ask you a question? And he said, yes. I said, what was your favorite boy band growing up in the eighties and nineties? <laughs> and, uh, and he, I mean, this literally just took him out of his environment. He immediately started talking about growing up in LA and how he was listening to West coast, uh, rap and hip hop back in the day. Um, which I can, I can tell you, I can tell you a lot about a person by the, the, by their favorite boy band, by the way, I can, I can tell you that. So, um, be, be careful. how you answer the question, yeah. but, but again, um, you know, one of those things with the 360 review and some of those mechanisms is you have to understand is that in order for you to have a functional team, you have to have a team that's relational that has high levels of chemistry. Yeah. So asking a question to find out something that would have never been uncovered in just your normal everyday operations. It's, you know, take that into consideration that, you know, go ahead and feel free to build a relationship and not just a transaction. I love that. I, you know, I, I guess I got the, I've had the luckiest job in the world being a submariner for the first five years of my leadership career, because I was locked in a metal tube with 155 guys for uh, three months at a time. And we stood these six hour watches every day for months. And I knew everything about the people that worked for me because, well, and we had those questions like, well, if there was a nuclear war, where would you go? You know, where would, where do you think we should take the boat? You know, or, uh, you know, wh wh who was your favorite girlfriend and why? And who was your favorite, like yes, you said, yeah, band exactly. growing up? And we just knew everything about each other because we had these deep, deep relationships. And I think, you know, uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't go into a marriage or you wouldn't you wouldn't be a parent without knowing your children or knowing your spouse. Right. We have these deep relationships with our family members. And it's the same thing in, 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 in leadership. Right. We have to have relationships with our people if we want to be able to lead them effectively. You have to know how they you know, what what motivates them? What are their dreams and aspirations? You know, what are the things that upset them? I have one employee, by the way, is not a morning person. Every time I say good morning, he kind of mumbles and he wanders off. But but that's just him. And, you know, two hours later, he's, he's, he's great. So I, but I know that about him and I don't get, I don't get bothered by it. It's just, it's just who his personality. In fact, if he's not grumbly in the morning, I'm wondering what's wrong. So it's about knowing <laughs> your people and how to manage them. And I love that you say that, that it's about building these relationships and asking these out of the box questions just to see, you know, where their minds. Are. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, so yeah, one, one thing that's, that's oh, good. So what's that? What's that good? I was just going to say, it's not something that comes naturally, you know, to everybody right, and it, right. it didn't come naturally to me. So I want to make sure that I'm very transparent with that is that, um, sometimes because, because of my focus a bit, it's really easy for me to just walk into a room. I'm a one Enneagram, if you know anything about the Enneagram. Yep. So I'm a, I'm a one wing, uh, wing nine. So I walk into a room and I immediately notice all the things that need to change. And then I immediately start to devise a plan to change, <laughs> to yeah, immediately yeah. change them. So this is just something that is on my, my own personal leadership list for how yep. I lead myself, yep. you know? And, um, and so it's something that I'm working on. That's great. I, and I would say, you know, those those leaders that are listening that do have trouble with the people side of things and just remembering to ask those questions and get to know people. I, look, I'm an engineer. So naturally, that's not my tendency, right? It's it's about fixing processes and, and, you know, products and these sort of things. But I keep spreadsheets. I keep spreadsheets on my people. What are their, what are their hobbies? What are, the, what are their birthdays? What are their kids' names? I, so I just, because sometimes I forget. And it's good to just keep those spreadsheets so I can remember things. So yeah, I cheat a little bit, but it, it's what I need to do to be able to have those relationships with my employees. So yeah, cheat, well, cheat is, cheating is okay. <laughs> Well, I don't think it's cheating, actually. If you're keeping spreadsheets on your employees, 
about the things that are going on in their world. Yeah. Intentionality is never cheating. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's pretty brilliant. And I also love the fact that you brought this all the way back around to the thing that you started talking about at the very beginning is that the idea of momentum is really, um, it's really motivating your team to results, right? Yeah. I would also say that there's something right in front of that. And it's the superpowers and is, is combining inspiration and motivation. So inspiring Mm. your team to see something bigger than they've ever seen before and then motivating them to chase it down. Um, and you have to know that that behavior that you're doing right there with putting things, documenting things down, you're letting your team know it's like, Hey, you know, you said it's cheating. They're not going to look at it that way. They're going to look at, Hey, John actually sees something great in me. And he wrote my name down with something that I prefer. And I like, so I know that I'm a priority to him. So yeah, I, yeah. I think that's brilliant. So great job. What really yeah, done. interesting. I always thought it was like, I don't have that skill. So I have to, I have to mechanize it. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. Um, one, one thing before we wrap up, you you talk about uh, burnout. You say that uh, you you quote uh, that 63% of C-suite leaders with high responsibility thresholds are at the edge of burnout before they hit the age of 50. And, you know, the question I'd have for you, and I'm 54, so I gotta be careful. Uh, what's the problem and what can be done to avoid burnout? Um, you know, I would say we, um, one of my coaching practices that I, that I do with a lot of my leaders is taking them through this green lights process. And I've been talking about green lights way before Matthew McConaughey ever came out with a book called green lights. And so, (laughs) but I didn't copyright it. So well done, Matthew McConaughey. Um, but think about it though. I I think the thing that, that burns people out is when things aren't working. Um, every, every leader has the responsibility to be a visionary. And so, um, it doesn't matter whether you're a, a you know a second or third level leader within an organization. You, there's still some sort of responsibility to to carry vision that you have. When things aren't wor- working, sometimes you end up chasing things that aren't yours. Sometimes mm-hmm. you end up actually trying to pursue things, or or you can you overcommit to your vision, um, and then you overcommit your team. Mm-hmm. So so just in that process of of our green lights, we we scale out the vision. And we, we establish a green light for every single tier of a vision. So for example, um, this is where we're at, but when we're, when we go ahead and hit, uh, you know, uh, a a million in top line revenue for the year, then we're going to go ahead and unlock the green light to go ahead and scale out to our second location, Mm -hmm. but we're not going to actually commit ourselves emotionally, mentally, or our human capital or our human resources or our systems and structures to actually release those things to chase down that second tier vision until we get the green light to do it. Most organizations, when I do bump into a leader that's experiencing burnout, it's not because they're underperforming. It's because they're actually, they've, they've overcommitted their team to Mm, vision and they don't have the resources to back it up. Yep. Yep. And I love how you compartmentalize the, the, the different visions, you know, let's say, look, we're not going there. Don't commit any, any emotional time to it until we reach a certain threshold. I love that because, you know, then, because I think that's what happens with leaders. We're thinking about every, you know, it's like chess, you're, you got looking at a chessboard and you're thinking about, you know, three or four moves ahead and, and all the time. So you never get out of that cycle. So to be able to take some and say, you know what, I'm, that's not important right now. Let's take that off the table. Let's not burn, you know, valuable, uh, energy thinking about that or worrying about that. That's not, I like that. I like that idea. So, yeah, well, because the reason why I'm saying this is because the most powerful leader that I know is the leader that's present in the moment. 
Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The most powerful leader that I know is the one that's mm-hmm. present in the moment. Mm-hmm. And you need to know this as a, as a senior leader or leading a team is that your vision and the scalability of your vision, it's important. Mm-hmm. It is so important. But what's even more important is you. Yeah. And yeah. in order for that to work, of just understanding like, hey, like, let's go ahead. You do have the responsibility. We'll think down those routes. We'll think down step two, step three, step four. But um, so let's document it and I'll hold you accountable to it. But I want you to be present in the moment so we can blow step one up in a way that has never been blown up before. Blow, blowing up, meaning in a really good way. Um, accomplishing that goal, performing like you've never performed before. And let's let's exceed your goals. Um, let's dream bigger. Let's think bigger, but, um, let's not overcommit your team. Let's, let's create an emotionally responsible team. So. I love that, Michael, that is super advice. Love that. Be present in the moment, lead in the moment. I love that. Um, this has been a great discussion we're wrapping up now. So Michael, how can, um, people find out more about you and your company? Yeah. Um, well, the name of my company is also my do- my domain name. So teams.coach, check us out online. Um, and I also do this. This is something that I, you know, one of my favorite authors, his name is Bob Goff. And, um, and when I was reading one of his books, I, he came to the last chapter and he gives out his personal cell phone number in the last couple pages of the book. So I do give out my cell phone number just to encourage leaders, man. If you have a, if you have just a quick leadership question or you have something about your team that you just, you want to have some insight on, text me. I'm not going to put, throw you into a click funnel or (laughs) or anything (laughs) like that. Just, you know, I'm about relationships. So my phone number is 763-245-4984. So feel free to text me a question and find me on all social. So Michael King, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, LinkedIn. All right, great. We'll put uh, links in the show notes for that. Michael, thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of your insight. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show and and bringing everything you brought today. Oh, it it was a privilege. Thank you so much, John. Well, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. 
Electricast.